You're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade, I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilizing my background in midwifery and teaching, and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week, we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Today I speak with Lala about the first four of her five births. She has experienced the whole plethora of births, from a traumatic caesarean when she was a single teen mum, to an empowering home birth of her very large and awkwardly positioned baby, and everything in between. In this episode we hear about the early loss of one twin, about the 10 years it took to properly bond with one of her children, about a beautifully supported hospital VBAC, about Lala's desperate act when she was terrified and powerless, biting a doctor's arm, about having a baby in the coup, about journeying from naivety and loss of control to taking the reins as an empowered woman. And this is only part one. Tune in next week to learn the rest of Lala's story and to hear about the fabulous path that this all has led Lala down in terms of the birth work she is now involved with. Welcome, Lala, to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast. <laughs> it's so nice to be sitting here with you and connecting. We've known each other for ooh, a while now. Very long time. Yeah. Thank fact, you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of how we first met. I know that the first time I met you in person was when you came up to Hamilton for quite a drive. Like, it's a decent drive up there. Yeah. Um, from where you were living at the time um, to attend a um, birth trauma support workshop was what they were called, which was just like a um, on a Sunday evening every couple of months my sister and I would hold these um, birth trauma support workshops which were an opportunity to share your birth story your traumatic birth story in a really safe and validating space and kind of um, be heard and witnessed in that story sharing and um, and yeah we didn't ever have much time to go into the where to from here stuff but we kind of gave a handout flyer from that and then I mean gosh our journey has yeah as friends and as fellow birth workers um, has really just flourished since then. Um, you really generously um, gifted me um, your story to share. Uh, you know, we videoed 
you and I talking through your birds. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I use that. And um, so I, I've done training seminars with people who work in perinatal care, mostly midwives or um, social workers, um, blanket nurses, that sort of thing. Um, about what is birth trauma, how can we prevent it, how can we support people who have experienced it. And you used to form a really beautiful part of that those teachings because I think there's such power and potency in the shared story. And yeah. you you were you were a a real person. You weren't just another number or a, you know, like a um yeah, you were sharing your story. And it was it was really powerful for a lot of people to who work in that scene to to hear what your experience was mm. um and so yeah i'm really grateful that you are willing to come and share your story on my podcast um yeah we've already talked about how you know it's quite a story you've, you've got quite a, a birthing history i do i do <laughs> it spans over a little while yeah 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 um and i don't know how much we'll be able to unpack in one episode. So we've just kind of concluded that we're just going to run this for however long it takes and maybe cut it into two separate episodes. We'll see how we go. But um, but yeah, welcome. And let's just start with you sharing about your journey into motherhood. Yeah, cool. All right. So a little while ago, I was 17 and found myself pregnant um, and alone. and I birth had not been something that I had talked about with anybody really I didn't know anybody who had had a baby um I didn't really have that many friends um certainly not friends who were having babies I kind of left school early and had lived with an older boyfriend at the time and he had gone and yeah I just found myself pregnant and alone <laughs> and just excuse me, not really sure what to do. Um, my parents were supportive um, but didn't really know how to give me the support that I needed, I think, because I didn't know what support I needed mm. at the time. Um, I turned 18 and had a really easy pregnancy. I'd never had any medical problems. I'd never really seen a doctor or never been to a hospital and I was due, I think, mid-December in 2007, and that date quickly went and kept getting further and further away as we got closer and closer to Christmas. And I think a few days before Christmas, I had woken up in the middle of the night sort of with what I know now are contractions. Um that that actually were quite intense but would always taper off by the morning and my dad was a milker I was living with mum and dad and he um I just said oh hey dad what are you doing up and uh kind of tell dad what had been going on he's like oh yeah we'll go back to bed and I just would and then Christmas morning came along and I was 12 days past good old 40 weeks and um we're sitting opening Christmas presents and I got a phone call the phone call was from Waikato Hospital and they just kind of said, hey, do you want to come in for assessment for induction? So we're not going to induce you today. It's Christmas Day, but, you know, come in for assessment. And by that point, I was like, oh, yes, like, let's get this baby out. 
I, I had not done any research. I hadn't watched any birth videos or read any books really because I was just kind of going with the flow. I remember making a couple of jokes in my pregnancy, oh, I'll just stay home type thing, but no one really said, oh, well, you actually could. So it didn't even really cross my mind. It was just uh, we'll go to the local birthing unit. Um, I think that was Tiaomudu actually. Oh, no, Morrinsville, Morrinsville was where I planned to go. And um, but then got this call from Waikato and we headed over there and I kind of joked in the car, I'll make myself look really like terrible so that they know how over it I am so that they will um, basically get this baby out. And my mum came with me. We head over there and we get put into a little room and I've got all of the, the CTG monitor on and we're just in this room by ourselves and I had to push the button when I felt a movement and had the call bell and all that type of thing. And I hadn't been there for very long. Uh, I was definitely getting tightenings, but not really anything that I would consider painful. And the monitors just on the CTG started going off and going crazy and we kind of were like, oh, what do we do? And we called everyone in. And they kind of start running around like headless chickens and it just sort of went crazy for a minute. And I heard, you know, prep for Caesar and all of these things being yelled out. And I think we'd only been there maybe half an hour. Um, the main doctor comes in and kind of checks the CTG. I get turned on my left side and they said, oh, we need to just check your progress. And I said, oh, okay. And I was, I was really nervous because being just 18 and not really knowing much about it, I, I wasn't familiar with strangers or professionals being in that area. So it was something really scary, but it just felt like I didn't have a choice. Mm. And I remember this doctor looking me straight in the eyes and she shoved her hands so deeply inside me and so painfully that I nearly leapt off the back of the bed and all of a sudden you just hear this loud noise and then like warm going everywhere, warm water going everywhere. And she just looked me dead in the eyes and she said, oops, I've broken your waters. And I just remember thinking, what? And like the room kind of went silent. But then it was like, just carry on. And she said, oh, you're about six centimetres. Everything's come back, you know, on the monitor. We'll leave you here a bit longer. And... um we stayed in there a bit longer and then I started getting contractions and they moved me to a birthing room. And I think from there it was pretty clear that we were going to have a baby. And my mum kind of was in freeze mode, what I would call freeze mode now. She didn't really know what to do or how to support or, um, yeah, yeah, just what to do. And, I mean, I, I really didn't. Um, I think not even half an hour after my waters broke I was getting contractions hard and fast and they were just coming so thick and I didn't really get a chance to breathe and I remember all of these nurses coming into this room and I'm on this bed still strapped to the CTG I wasn't allowed off the bed and I I remember I need to go to the toilet I need to go to the toilet they wouldn't let me off the bed to go to the toilet so they made me use a bedpan I remember saying, my midwife would let me do this. You know, can someone call my midwife? Please just call my midwife. And I was just getting different stories from everyone. Um, I It didn't cross my mind to say to my mum, can you ring the midwife or can I? And it was Christmas Day and it was just, it was just really hectic. Mm. And I didn't know to ask questions. I didn't really know that I could say no. I didn't, yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't know. And 
I do remember at one point climbing off the bed. They, they let, all left the room and me and my mum in there and I said, I need to get off the bed, I need to get off the bed. And I remember squatting on the corner of the bed on the floor and I'm holding onto the bed and I'm having contractions and a nurse comes in and tells me off and smacks me and like gets, tries to get me back up on this bed. She's like, you can't be down there, can't be down there. And by this point, I'm saying, look, I, I need to push. I need to push. Something's happening. Like, I need to push. And they're like, oh, no, you've only been in here an hour or so. Like, there's no way you need to push. And they come in. And every time they came in, they would just check me. They wouldn't actually ask mm. for consent. They would just check me or they would check the monitor and they wouldn't even acknowledge me. It was just the monitor or my vagina, basically. And they checked this time and they said, oh, you're nine and a half centimetres. And I felt something in my leg. And they'd actually given me um, pethidine. pethidine, yeah, without my knowledge or consent. Um, and I only found that out afterwards, but I do remember getting it in my leg. Um, and it wasn't, I think it was only a minute or so after that and the CTG started going crazy again. And... It gets a bit hazy, but I do remember being wheeled fully naked out of the birthing room, backwards down the corridor. And I remember this because I remember looking, I'm on the bed and I remember looking through my legs down to the end of the corridor and there was a man down there um, who was obviously a, a visitor of some description. He wasn't a staff member. And I remember him looking at me horrified. <laughs> And they keep wheeling me back and then all of a sudden I'm in this operating theatre and there's a lot of people. And and if I stop and, and think now, there was probably 20 or so people in that room and they were surrounding me. There was a window at the end. They were behind there. I guess they were scrubbing in and I had all of these people talking to me at once. There was one nurse there and I was saying to her, I need a push, I need a push and she looked at me and she was like, my name is Wendy, just do what you need to do. If you need to push, just push. Mm -hmm. And I remember just for a split second, like kind of pushing or feeling like I was pushing and it feeling quite good. But the fear that was in my body at that point was just completely taking over. Um, I was chucked onto another bed, which was obviously the operating table. And I started being forced down because I, I wasn't cooperating mm. and I wasn't lying down. So I was being forced down and um, doctors or nurses, whoever they were, males included, were holding my arms and pulling my shoulders down. I had someone behind me holding both of my shoulders, pulling me down. And um, I actually bit one of the male staff members who was holding my left arm down. And I was in absolute survival yeah. yeah I was as far as I was concerned this was it for me mm. um and yeah so he yeah <laughs> and he they just kept going and then all of a sudden the mask was going on my face and I do remember the woman talking to me but she was also pushing me down at the same time so I wasn't really listening and then next thing I remember is waking up and it was about three hours later it was quite a while. It took quite a lot for me to come out of that anesthetic and I could hear a baby crying 
And the first thing I said was, it's a boy, eh, mum? And I didn't actually know. We, I would not found out in my pregnancy, but, yeah, it was a boy. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how my first baby was born. Wow. Yeah. How do you remember feeling at that stage in the piece? I'm not really sure whether I, I had feelings. I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I don't think yeah. my brain was working. I think it was just my baby is there, give me my baby. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I look back at photos and, you know, there's a photo of my mum holding my son in the operating theatre with me behind her with this sheet over my body being operated on. Mm. How, why would you take that kind of a photo, you know? Like it's it's the most horrific photo I can think of mm. on the most horrific day of my life. Mm. And yet this beautiful baby was born and there was so much joy in that as well. But at that point in time, I'm I'm pretty sure my brain just wasn't working and I was just like... Yeah, well, you were probably pretty numb, dissociated, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what we do when we're in that survival mode to be yeah. able to survive a situation that feels completely untenable. We, we sometimes, yeah, dissociate. We separate ourselves from our physical body and and it can take quite some time to come back into our body and to to yeah to be able to feel again and yeah be in the present moment be in our body Mm. um wow what a what a an entrance to motherhood um do you feel like your your birth was impacted at all by the fact that you were a young single mum? I think there was definitely some prejudice towards me in the way that I was treated. I don't think that I was treated as I have been treated as an adult married woman, definitely. Mm. Yeah. What do you think would have been a couple of key pieces that would have made the world of difference to you and you know in in that birthing journey of yours I think a couple of things I think definitely having my midwife there so did she make it no right so she had been called mm. and the hospital had told us that she was on the way but her message that she got was that I'd already had the baby right which was completely false mm. um yeah I think if she'd been there it would have been different and it wasn't even my midwife my midwife was doing Christmas with her family and so I would have had a backup midwife but the difference would have been that I would have had someone there for me not just a staff member that was on duty doing a whole lot of other women at the same time yeah right yeah and I think the other thing would have been if if I'd had a lot more access or uh, some access to information that told me that I didn't need to be induced, Mm. that actually I was happy and healthy, my baby was happy and healthy, and that I had a choice in that Mm -hmm. because I was pretty chill just being at home doing my own thing. I actually wasn't in a rush to have my baby. I wasn't scared. I wasn't fearful. I, I didn't feel any of that hesitancy I was just happy being at home being pregnant with my baby and 
if I was already six centimeters dilated when I got to the hospital without actually realizing I was in labor, I probably would have had that homework mm-hmm. I joked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. we did live quite a way from that hospital. So, right. Yeah. And how did your um, beginning days, weeks, months play out for you as, as a new mum? So I actually spent six weeks in the hospital. After that birth, I had severe wound infections. I had a further surgery to clear up a wound infection that had been caused from a crash cesarean. Um, And I think a lot of people maybe don't understand the difference between an emergency cesarean and a crash cesarean. From, From the minute I got told, the moment I got told that I would need a cesarean, it was less than three minutes till he was out. So that includes wheeling me down the hallway, getting me into the operating theater, me fighting the entire way and getting me under, and then actually doing the operation and getting the baby out. So there was a massive room for error there. And yeah, I developed this severe, severe wound infection that actually still 15 and a half years later has an effect on my life. So six weeks of that was spent in hospital. Uh, It was absolutely horrific. I um, am very thankful to myself for how strong I was or how strong I had to be. Um, Being by myself, my family an hour away, having nobody else but still doing things that were important to me like co-sleeping. And that sort of came about because I didn't have a choice. If I if I didn't close co-sleep with my baby, I was too sick to get out of bed to get my baby. Mm-hmm. So who was going to come and get my baby when he cried? Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to breastfeed, and that was through my sheer determination to want to breastfeed, but also because if I had to rely on bottles or formula, my baby would have starved because hospital staff are just so busy and overrun. Um And yet those two things are sort of the foundation of me parenting Mm. and became really instinctual and really important to me. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel like your bond with him was affected by that experience? Surprisingly, no. He and I are still two peas in a pod. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Right. So what... Why the next? I mean, you've gone on to have, you've got five children now. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to <clears> us <throat> about what happened between Lachlan's birth and your next pregnancy. Yeah, so I met a man. <laughs> <laughs> I met a man and I fell quite in love with him. And very early on, we discovered that his family hold a genetic condition that could mean that he couldn't have biological children. So through genetic testing and GP visits and specialist visits, we made the decision to start trying to have another baby really soon. And we hadn't actually been together that long and Lachlan was still quite young when we made that decision. And we obviously were very young um, because we were under the impression that it would probably take three years of trying and then by then we might actually be ready to have a baby and then we could go on the wait list for IVF. Mm-hmm. And we got pregnant really fast. <laughs> it was like a couple couple months and we got pregnant with twins. And we lost one twin really quite early on. Um, the twin was ectopic. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it was growing outside of my uterus and I had surgery for that pregnancy and the surgeon at the time made the decision to not check my uterus just in case, um, which turned out to be a really good decision for Rose, who is now 12. So you didn't know you were pregnant with twins when you had the ectopic pregnancy surgically sort of, yeah, dealt with. Yeah, yeah, it was a surprise. So we we found out two weeks after that surgery, I think, that we were still pregnant. Um, And that that was quite a shock because we didn't actually even know that that was possible. Yeah. Um, And I think that that set us up for... You know, we weren't ready to have a baby together. Um, my husband certainly wasn't ready at that time to have his first child, despite being amazing with Lachlan. Um, and, yeah, it was a lot of stress to start a pregnancy having just had surgery. That was that was massive. And I had quite um, a hard pregnancy. It certainly wasn't like my first pregnancy at all. Mm-hmm. Plus I had this toddler to look after. Um we moved away from my family and his family. So we were up in Auckland by ourselves. Um, yeah, it was, it was really tricky. And I think by 35 weeks, I started having you know, contraction type things or tightening type things happening, which we weren't really sure about. Um, and I spent a week or just over a week in the hospital, not really sure what was going on. Some doctors were telling us, you know, stay still, don't let anything irritate anything, and other doctors were telling us, you know, get up and move. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen type thing. And I'd had a previous cesarean, and this time, you know, I I thought it would be quite cool to have a natural birth, have a vaginal birth, but we weren't really sure of the ins and outs. Um, Our midwife wasn't didn't really seem too faced. She was just like, oh, yeah, just whatever it is type thing. And then it kind of got to a situation where they thought my waters may have broken, maybe they had, maybe they hadn't. Contractions were kind of getting more but not really doing anything, and we had to make a decision between an induction or a cesarean. And by this point I was absolutely exhausted and I just wanted to be done. Mm. Um so we made the decision to have a cesarean. It certainly wasn't a fully informed decision. However, with the information and support I had at the time, I don't really think that there was much else we could have done differently. So at 36 weeks or 36 and a half weeks, we had a cesarean and Rose was born, they told us healthy. However, when they they wrapped her up and they brought her to me, I guess it was kind of before the gentle cesarean stuff started being quite big. And my partner, Dan, was sitting next to me holding this baby and I just kept, you know, she's kind of foaming at the mouth. She was kind of making weird noises. And I remember saying, you know, she's not breathing. She's not breathing properly. And everyone's saying to me, no, everything's fine. We've checked everything out. She's fine. My partner's going like, oh, my God, the miracle of life. Like, this is incredible. He's on such a high. He really devoutly thought that 
medical professionals were gods back then. Mm -hmm. So he was like on this high of his first baby. His parents were waiting outside the room. Like he was so excited. And I'm going, no, 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 this baby's not breathing. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the epidural or the spinal, whatever I had, was kind of wearing off and I could feel my feet. And that was absolutely stressing me out because, you know, my worst fear was like if it had run out. Yeah. I, I said to the doctor, can you please hurry up? Can you please hurry up? Because I can feel my feet. And this doctor who was stitching me up looked at me and she said, do you want to have a pretty scar or not? Wow. And I was like, okay, I'll be quiet. Wow. And while still stressing out that my baby was not breathing and nobody was listening to me and they were kind of just calling me over the top or, you know, a bit dramatic because I was having a cesarean and, you know, maybe it was the drugs or whatever. They finished the surgery. They took me out into the waiting room and I thought I'm getting this baby on my chest, like this baby, you know, get this baby on my chest. I'd never had a newborn before mm -hmm. that I could remember. And this time I was awake, so I wanted to hold this baby. And they unwrapped her and put her on me. And within five seconds, it was it was literally five seconds, they said to me, your baby's not breathing properly. And they just grabbed her and left. And I said to Dan, my partner, I was like, go, go, just go. I've never been in so much pain in my life. Then after that surgery, it was absolutely horrific. They couldn't get my pain under control. I didn't know where my baby was. It was about three or four hours I was in that recovery room. There just were not enough staff to tell me what was going on with my baby, to tell me if my baby was actually alive, to report back, to help get me under control, to get my pain under control, to calm me down, to make sure I was okay, and to actually get me back up on the ward or to get me to where my baby was. Yeah. So I think actually that for me was more traumatic than my first birth and my first baby because at least he was there he was next to me you know at the time whilst I have fuzzy patches now at the time I was there with him yeah and I had my mum with me I wasn't alone this time I just had no idea and it, it turned out that she um I can't remember the term of it um just breathing distress yeah when they come out of a cesarean yeah um because of a cesarean and not being ready to be born um, so she was in the NICU and she was actually quite sick on CPAP. Um, I was wheeled back up to my room and able to visit my baby over the next few days. I was very grateful to have some phenomenal student midwives, mm -hmm. and they were the student midwives, who would come and get colostrum off me because I was just too sick to get it myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing and to actually run it down to the NICU because they were so short-staffed they couldn't even, if they had the breast milk, they couldn't even get it down there. Yeah. So these student midwives would say, I'll take it now, yeah. and they would go. So I'm very thankful yeah. for that. But I do remember the NICU journey just being utterly horrendous, even being in a wheelchair and Dan taking me down to see her you know, you weren't allowed to touch your baby because she would go into distress. And I know now that was because every time she was touched, she was touched with pain from needles or bloods being taken or whatever it was, you know, tubes, that type of thing. 
So every time I would touch her, she would get scared that I was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I do remember one time having her kangaroo care, I think they call it, on my chest. And this baby starts crying and she wanted my boob. Like she could smell me. She wanted my boob. And I just kind of let her go there and yeah. thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just let her go there. Mm-hmm. And getting so told off and reprimanded and threatened that I wouldn't be allowed back in there. And I'm like, this is a two-day-old baby that's crying for my breast milk. It's literally centimetres from her mouth. Mm-hmm. How can you not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just was so against everything that I was instinctually feeling and thinking. Mm-hmm. So that was my second baby. Rises birth. Yeah. Out. So you sort of describe that as a more traumatic experience than Lachlan's birth. Do you feel like that impacted on your parenting journey, on your bonding with Rose or your breastfeeding journey or um, any of those important aspects? Yeah, so my journey with Rose was really different and it was really fucking hard. It was Mm -hmm. so hard. We had a, a sick baby that for the first year of her life, had a monitor on her to monitor her breathing. Mm. She used to stop breathing all of the time. And that was hard. I wasn't allowed to co-sleep. And, you know, they would have people come and do welfare checks to make sure that we weren't co-sleeping and and this type of thing. And when she was a baby, it was fine because I could could breastfeed her. And thankfully our breastfeeding journey wasn't interrupted at all. It, It... kind of took off and we never had any problems and breastfed problem free for 15 months um so that was never a problem but I was so tired because I couldn't co-sleep and I had this baby with this monitor and she couldn't do things and I was scared she would wrap up in this monitor and as she got older it just didn't feel the same and I remember hearing women say when they were pregnant with their first with their second baby that they were scared they wouldn't love the second baby as much because they loved their first baby so much. And I remember thinking, but it's a newborn baby. Like, you love them so much. How do you keep loving the first baby? But it it really became this journey of not despising but almost feeling like Rose was somebody else's child that I was looking after. Mm -hmm. And this really went on for the first 10 years around about of her life. Wow. And it was horrible. And I remember talking to you a lot about it, Carla, to have this child who I knew was mine. Mm. I, I know she's mine. But to not instantly hug her or just instinctually tell her that I love her was so foreign to me. Because I would always grab my children and hug my children and kiss them or walk and talk to them in the bath or whatever, you know, if I was in the toilet, they could just come and, you know, open house or she could come and jump into bed with them. And it wasn't like that with her. Mm-hmm. Everything I did with her, I had to remind myself. I had to write it down. I had to do checklists. I had to think to tell this child that I loved her. Wow. And it was horrible. Yeah. Do you feel like that shifted now? Like she's, well, you said for the first 10 years, is something kind of 
changed a little for you guys over the last couple of years? Yes, yeah, so Rosa's coming up 13 mm. and our relationship has just flourished mm. and we're in such a different place and it's like none of that ever happened. Do you know why? Do you know, I, I can't, I don't know. You've been doing so much self-work yeah, over these last, well, for a long time. But I, I feel like particularly over this last couple of years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have. And I wonder if that's cracked open something that's enabled you to feel that connection more with her or something along those lines. I mean, I'm just, I'm guessing. Yeah. You know. yeah. Three, three and a half years ago, we moved from where we've been living mm. and we moved to the beach and our lives absolutely changed. And yeah. Dan and I stopped living in survival mode for the first time ever. Yeah. For the first time ever. And, oh, undoubtedly that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think too, she hit, because it wasn't easy for her either. The relationship wasn't, it didn't come naturally to her either. Yeah. So it wasn't just a me thing. It was a her thing. She mm. didn't instantly think, I've hurt myself. I need my mum. Relationships are a two-way thing. <laughs> yeah. You know. It was it was the strangest yeah. thing. And, and now she does. And she actually just got her first period. Mm. And she came straight to me mm. and described it and talked to me about it. And all week we just you know, we're doing girly things and I brought her flowers and, and you know, like, and it's mm. just been so lovely. And I've been thinking a lot over the last week how different it is now and how lovely it is mm. and how cool she is and how much I love her. So it can, be, it can be different, but it was really hard going for a long time and I fully believe that is from her birth. Yeah, absolutely. I don't doubt it. I mean, I've just heard way too many stories now of people who have, had such, you know, um, devastating impacts on their on their connection with their child as a response to their traumatic birth experience. And, you know, the, I, I feel like the earlier on you can do the healing work and unpack that story and kind of see things for what they are and appreciate why you were left feeling like that and be offered some tools to help re-establish that connection and to do the work like I said you know you've been doing the self-work I, I feel like the work that I do with people and supporting them to find healing after a traumatic birth is all self-work it's been doing that work mm. to find the healing that is within them but that is what enables that reconnection that bond to occur so yeah I don't doubt that it was the birth that started those things and for me, I also don't doubt that it's the work that you've been doing on yourself um, and her witnessing that, her, yeah. you know, feeling that um, it's probably provided a safe space for her to drop into um, relating to you more, connecting with you, yeah. like trusting you to be the person that she talks to about, you know, I've got my period, mum. Like, yeah. yeah, amazing. Um, 
and I do want to come back and talk about because I know that when you know after Rose's birth, you still weren't even aware that you, what you'd experienced was birth trauma, etc. Yeah. So we'll come back and talk about that later. Um, but yeah, and what at what stage in the piece was it? It was after your fourth birth that you came yeah. to that. Okay. Yeah, it was after my fourth birth. Yeah, which is just over eight years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, but let's talk then about um, about the third birth. Yeah, yeah. So my third birth, Indy, is now 10, 10 and a half. So we'd moved from Auckland by this point and we were living in Taupo. And we got pregnant. Well, I decided I wanted to be pregnant, so decided to get pregnant. And... My husband just kind of came along for that ride. And <laughs> moving to a new town, I met a friend. And this friend was a lot younger than me. And she's probably the most, one of the most phenomenal women I've ever met. She's the most amazing mother. But she had these, what I would have called back then, radical ideas. And she home birthed and had her first baby at 14 and didn't vaccinate her children and did all these, what I would have called back then, crazy alternative things, parented like I'd never seen anybody parent before. And she just opened my world. I didn't know that it was like a big thing to have vaginal births after caesareans. I didn't know that things like childhood medications or vaccinations were actually a choice. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that you could question authority figures or professionals. Mm -hmm. I didn't I just simply did not know. Mm -hmm. I just went along and did the things that you do. Mm -hmm. And things that weren't even put to me as questions, they were just like, okay, we're gonna do this now. Mm -hmm. And this I mean she was a woman but she was young and and I'm meeting her and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I think people like that. <laughs> and she, I, you know, she got pregnant with her fourth, fourth baby at the time. And I got pregnant with my third. And, with, and it was within like a week of one another. And she goes to me, I think you need to meet this woman who's a midwife. I, yeah, I just, I think you need to meet her. And this midwife, I was a bit like, whoa, this is a bit hard out for me but there were not really any other midwives to choose from I kind of had to go with her and I I trusted my friend and I kind of got this little seed of an idea in my head that actually I was going to have a vaginal birth and whilst I still didn't recognize my first two births as traumatic you know using that word I knew that something wasn't right and I wasn't going to do that again and despite what anybody, my husband, my mum, whoever said, I wasn't going to do that again. And I knew that not doing that again was actually possible through this friend. So with this midwife, I told her that I wanted to have a home birth, actually, and I wanted to have a vaginal birth, and this was how it was going to be. And I became what a lot of people would describe as militant. And I used that word for a long time as this thing of honor and now I think actually no that's not the word I just kind of came into my power yeah 
I just came into my power and I discovered that actually I can make decisions over myself and my body and my baby. And I didn't need to just blindly follow. This was also the time of kind of Facebook coming in and Google and being able to find information and people had started sharing stories and articles and reviews and all of this kind of thing. So this world was opening and I was able to access Facebook groups and, you know, VBAT groups and this kind of stuff. So I was really like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And this midwife was like, cool, let's do it. And I was like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you have a vagina, like, let's just have a baby. And she wasn't quite sold on the home birth idea yet. I think looking back, she didn't really have great support system for herself as a midwife. And we did, you know, live an hour from the nearest hospital that you would go to if something happened. There's a maternity unit there, but, um, yeah, it wasn't really used for women like me. So, um, yeah, I had a really great pregnancy, probably my best pregnancy. I was really healthy. I was really, like, onto it mindset-wise. I know it was quite difficult for my husband because he didn't quite understand what I was doing or what, decisions I was making however he just kind of had to get along with them I didn't give him a choice this was going to be this was going to be the the birth that changed it all this was going to be the experience and I just had that in my head and I'd read a lot of other stories successful VBAC stories where these women had said you know this healed me having a vaginal birth healed me and I'll come back to that but I went into labor at 41 weeks in one day and it was amazing to feel this natural onset of labor just little prickly like tightenings just little ones and then you know we went for a walk and I would stop every couple minutes and every 20 minutes or so and and then we had a family member visit and my mum was up. My mum just happens to be up every time I'm having a baby, <laughs> even if babies are early. I don't know how that happens, but it just, it works. And yeah, I just, it like slowly progressed through the Sunday. And then that night I just felt really horny, like you wouldn't believe. And my husband and I did what we do. And I've went into this deep, coma like sleep and woke up at 3 a.m just like wide awake and I was like whoa I'm pretty sure I'm in labor unfortunately my midwife couldn't be there she'd had a family emergency and she couldn't be there but she'd organized for someone who she felt was the best fit to be at my birth but it was going to have to be at the hospital and the midwives in town would not support me in the home birth. They didn't even want to come to my house to check to see if I was in labor. Um, However, one very begrudgingly did. And yes, I was. I was about three or four centimeters by about five in the morning, I think. And she kind of said, you know, you need to go now and called the hospital. I'll expect this person in an hour while I muddled around and kind of did my own thing by this point my other kids had woken up and they were awake we've got some photos of them in the morning like watching the tv and the other grandparents came over to stay with them getting the car packed up and my husband's you know getting the towels and all the bits and pieces and I'm just like 
loving life, like having these contractions. And I was just felt so cool. And I'd seen photos and videos of women giving birth. I was like, oh, I'll try this position. And I just felt like almost in a movie, like I'll just see how this feels and see how this feels. And I think because it was such like the slow progression into it, it wasn't like this, whoa, like here's a contraction. It was just like nice and slow and like eased me into it. I think that's why I was probably in like such good spirits. Um, we get in the car and we're driving and there's this one little point along the road of the whole hour long drive that I remember deep in the contraction opening my eyes and it's dark and just seeing this one little spot. And every time I go past that spot, I'm like, oh, yeah. But to be fair, being in the car in labor is absolute torture. Like I would not wish that on anyone. Um, we get to the hospital and everything kind of slowed down. But I knew that it was going to slow down because this time I'd done my research and I knew that the adrenaline would kind of hit, slow everything down, but it was okay because if we were doing it, it was going to come back and we were going to be good. We get in this room and there's like this pool in the room. And the first thing I said to my mum was cover the clock, take the clock down because no way was I going to be on the clock. Wow. Wasn't going to happen. Nah. Mum couldn't get the clock off the wall, so she covered it. And at one point, I don't remember when, but another midwife comes in and goes, oh, why is the clock covered? I'm covering the clock. And I'm me going, no. And my mum going, I'm not allowed to. Sorry, I've got to keep it covered. And I just kind of took control of yeah. the room. Yeah. And I met this midwife who my midwife had chosen to be there and who she thought was the best fit. And this woman was phenomenal like I cannot shout oh how amazing she was loud enough she physically stood at the door and stopped two OBs coming into the room multiple times these OBs wanted blood tests they wanted me on the bed they wanted to visually see me on the bed on CTG monitors because they knew that I was coming they knew who was in that room I was the room closest to the nurses station you know like and this midwife was like, no, you're not. not the two previous cesareans. And yeah. 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 I was like the spectacle. Like, mm. it was ridiculous. But I never saw another person come in that room once until I'd given birth. Mm. And even then I didn't see her. I just heard her voice and then she left. Mm. But at one point I was like, oh, I was down on my hands and knees. I was like squatting on the bed, like. I remembered back to my first birth when all I wanted to do was get off the bed and squat and I was doing it this time and I just think like it must be such an like you know instincts telling me to like get in this position and then I would stand up and walk around and I did all the things and it was you know I jumped on the ball but I hated it so I got off that pretty quickly but my husband was there and he was supporting me and rubbing my shoulders and we've got these cool photos of us together and he's just being amazing and my mum was kind of in the background but she was there and it, we weren't it, I'm making it sound like we were there a long time we weren't actually there my, I think my baby was born at nine in the morning but I'm, I'm you know in the pool and the pool felt great because it was like no one else was going to get in that pool because then the doctors aren't going to get in there so I'm safe I'm safe in this pool I remember they wanted a blood test at one point and the midwife said you know, they're, they're really hassling me, you know, they really want a blood test. They want to, you know, check your blood. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And she's like, but you don't have to. 
And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, no, it's all right. I'll give them one. I'll let them have that. That's okay. And I felt okay about that. And then I chose to use gas because I was getting, I, I really wanted to push, but I wasn't quite ready to push yet. And the, the one thing they were quite concerned about was getting a swollen cervix. Um, but yeah, the gas was actually quite good. I'd used gas in my first birth, which wasn't nice. Um, I guess is why I don't talk about it. But when I used it in this birth, I remember putting it down at some points and standing up and being like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm here. Like I'm in my body. We're all good. I feel like I'm dying. I want a cesarean, but we're good. But I knew that why I was feeling that way was because, because I'd done this research, I was in transition and this is what transition does. And that was actually even cooler because then I could go, I've progressed even more. And when it came to pushing my baby out, it was hard work pushing a baby out or my babies out are hard. Um, I didn't mention the sizes of my other babies, but my other babies were large. And this baby was larger. <laughs> she was hard to push out. But I would float in the water. And had my husband not held my head out of the water, I would have gone under. And as I was pushing, I would just grab my legs and I would start floating and my husband would hold my head and I would push. And I remember when this baby's head was just inside my vagina. And I think that was maybe the point where I was a little bit scared because I'd never got to that point before. And it was a bit scary. And I was, you know, the, the thought of rupture is something that any VBAC mum has in the back of her mind because of fear put there from professionals and other people. And so I remember saying, like, I'm scared. And my midwife said, you're way past that point. Like, you're good. Like, your baby's head is literally right there. Like, you can feel your baby's head. And I remember putting my hand right there just inside my vagina and being like, oh, my gosh, there's a baby head there. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, is this is this okay? Like, And my husband being like, can I feel? Like, what? Like, is this happening? And we both felt this baby's head. And we're like, oh, my gosh, cool. Like, let's keep pushing. Let's get this baby out. And, uh my mum was there and they called another midwife in just to have someone else there. And all of a sudden this baby's head came out of my vagina and was just between my legs under the water. And I, I was still using the gas. So I didn't look like my eyes like weren't really working. My eyes were shut, but my hands were there and all of the photos and videos are just my hands are on this baby's head. I just couldn't let this baby's head go because I was like, there's a baby. I'm doing it. I'm actually pushing a baby out. And my husband's, you can hear him in the video. Can you just move your hand just for a second? I'm like, no. Like, I just want to see. Yep, just a little bit more because I just went a little bit off. Please, just a little bit more. And I just went like this really fast for like a split second. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, it is out. And the midwife started crying and she, and she was like, you're doing that. I'm so happy for you. And my mom's crying. And then all of a sudden I'm pushing again and it's a big baby. So the baby needed a little bit of help and the midwife kind of pulled just a little bit. And this baby came out and she picks this baby up and puts it on me. And I just remember, I call it the birth whale. And I was just wailing. Mm -hmm. I like to the feeling 
of holding your newborn baby, who's not your first baby, it's like your third baby. You've never actually held a newborn baby before. You've never actually not been in like surgery pain before because it's quite different. You're in a state of trauma and shock and yeah, yeah, fear. Yeah, and and this fight or flight and all of that stuff to actually have done something that your body's meant to do and then to be holding this thing. <laughs> Is like I can't even describe it. It's nothing in this world compares. And I've had two more babies, but her birth is my favorite birth in the whole entire world because I got to hold this baby. No one else held her first. I touched her first. I held her first. She was in my arms, and Dan's right behind me. And we again, we didn't know what we were having, and and I'm just wailing and, you know, I do this one thing where I look at the camera and the video and I'm just like, mum, like all these tears coming down. And and everyone's like, do you want to see what you have? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't care. I actually don't care. I just have, I have this baby and I'm holding her. And then when no one's looking, I just do a quick look. And just for a couple of seconds, I knew I was the only one who knew what I had. I had, a, had another little girl and... It was amazing and I cut her cord. Mm -hmm. I did all of the things. It was it was me. And that birth absolutely transformed my life and how I thought about my life. But it didn't heal me. And I want to say this because I had this big expectation that having a vaginal birth would heal me. Right. And it didn't. Mm -hmm. And a few days after I had her, I had this feeling of just disappointment like why don't I feel better mm. why did that not make it better I did it I did the thing mm -hmm. I've done it now why am I not better mm -hmm. and I know now because I had these horrific traumatic births that I still needed to work through and even acknowledge that that was mm -hmm. what they were mm -hmm. um, but at the time I didn't know and I think a lot of women still have put this expectation on their next birth being this healing birth yeah. and it's sometimes not <laughs> it can be devastating I think often it's it, it's part of the equation mm. it can be part of the equation it can it can stimulate the healing like mm. or it can you know um help you to believe in yourself to be able to find what you need to heal yeah. whatever but yeah yeah absolutely it will not be the be all and end all of many people's healing journey after a traumatic birth that's for sure yeah and I think what it did was opened a doorway to me understanding that what I'd been through the first two times was not okay and not not normal yeah and that there were words like traumatic birth that described that mm. and it probably wasn't that long after that birth that I reached out to you or found you and started looking at different bits and pieces mm. to go hang on <laughs> yeah mm. interesting yeah because you had nothing to compare those first births to you know like yeah you don't realize what shitty care looks like till you experience amazing care mm. necessarily where you don't appreciate what powerlessness or disempowerment feel like until you are able to stand in your power <laughs> um yeah. so yeah having this like vastly different experience was a, a key driver for you right and like um yeah and so many things changing in your life 
yeah um but yeah put you on the on the course to um to, to healing to finding mm. healing yeah so yeah next birth let's keep rolling <laughs> you're going great this is awesome <laughs> all right so this time I was going to get my home birth yeah this time I decided yeah we're going to have a home birth and oh oh just before you do yeah how did Dan how did Dan react to so he went from doctors a god like that cesarean birth was the most amazing thing ever to you know being told actually this time we're having a vaginal birth and yep suck it up um and then like uh, being with you through that how how did he feel in response to that I think he knew that he had to just get on board or he was probably going to be uninvited to that birth yeah but then witnessing that experiencing the the aftermath I think a part of him was still we got lucky yeah right yeah. Wow. he yeah I think he he truly was we we got lucky she got lucky I got lucky yeah um and didn't quite understand yet interesting yeah okay cool yeah gives us a bit of context for the rest of the journey yeah and and you know I kind of mentioned it with my first birth that I've had you know lifelong consequences from that birth mm. and so I was dealing with health problems in between all of these births as well mm. so seeing a lot of medical professionals yeah. in between you know as the fallout from that birth um, as well as Rose, our second child, having health problems mm. as well. So slowly him being able to build up a bigger picture of medical professionals having come from they are gods mm. type thing. But he still wasn't quite at the point that I was. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So... Getting pregnant with our fourth child, we had a lot of outside opinions about that. Four was kind of a big number, I suppose. We were still quite young. Um, we had learned by that point that it's our choice and what we wanted to do was what we were going to do. I think by then our family, our parents especially, had gone, okay, well, if they're just going to do what they're going to do. And we always kind of got on with it. We planned a home birth. And we'd moved into a house that was really great for a home birth, actually. And once again, our, my mum ended up turning up right at the right time. And, I mean, she lived nearly five hours away. So that was, it was quite a feat every time. Maybe her mum instincts kicked <laughs> in. And, again, I just sort of went to sleep, kind of had stuff in the day before, and then went to sleep in, like, in a deep, deep sleep. And then this time I woke up, I can't remember what time, quarter past one, I think, in the morning, but, like, was awake with my eyes still shut, and I remember hearing a noise, like a popping noise, and then a couple of seconds later, like, hearing and feeling this gush. Mm. 
and being like straight awake, sitting up, feeling this gush of my waters going everywhere. And I remember hearing like in antenatal classes and stuff, well, it's not like the movies, you know, it'll be a trickle that you can catch in a pad. While this was the movies, I didn't know so much water could be in there, how it all fitted, I don't know. I started like banging Dan on the shoulder, wake up, wake up, like my waters have broken. He realizes what's happening is, you know, get out of the bed, get out of the bed. But I was like frozen, like what is happening? (laughs) Like this is surreal. I did get out of the bed and I remember standing holding onto the bed with my legs wide apart in this puddle at my feet and it was a puddle and we had an ensuite of maybe four or five meters from my bed I just couldn't get there (laughs) I just couldn't get there and he's getting towels and it was it was laughable it was a it was a funny situation to start labor off and I managed to get to the toilet and I remember sitting on the toilet and just started crying because reality hit for me that the last time my waters had broken, I had this horrific situation at the hospital mm-hmm. where they'd broken my waters and within sort of 10 minutes, I was in full-blown labor from nothing. And instantly I was filled with this fear like, oh, my God, now it's, you know, and I'd read stories. My waters are broken, now that's it. Like it's going to be all on. And it was. And I kind of needed that 10 minutes to kind of cry, to let some of the emotion out, and then I was all right. But I was still like, this is going to happen. I can't slow this down. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, I got the biggest contraction out of nowhere and was almost brought to my knees and must have been making some noise because my mum was sleeping two stories above me with the children and heard and come down realized I was in labor and her and Daniel started pottering around you know filling the pool because I wanted the pool um we had it blown up but it needed to be filled um yeah Yeah. (laughs) of course (laughs) right in the path of the the planes flying over they're going somewhere exciting yeah (laughs) Yeah, so they started filling the pool. My mum kind of got me a drink. I was just in my bedroom and I was, the plan was that the children would be there as well. What ages would they would have been like eight, six and four, something like that. And yeah, I was every few minutes would get another contraction, would get another contraction. Somehow a little cot mattress ended up beneath my knees and I was kind of kneeling on the floor. You've probably all seen the photos. Kneeling <laughs> on the floor, <laughs> leaning over my bed and my mum lying on the bed. Very relaxing looking. And yeah, with sort of 20 minutes maybe we had to call the midwife. I was like, we need to call the midwife. And I was really lucky I was able to get the same midwife that I'd had the previous time who couldn't make the birth but was phenomenal support for me. And um she was totally on board with having a home birth but again couldn't get any support it was that was kind of the problem but she really trusted in me and I really trusted in her and we'd built such a beautiful friendship and relationship that yeah we were we were all good with our plan and she kind of knew everything that I wanted or didn't want and I had that trust in her that I if she said you know we needed to go we would go but I just had 
total faith. Never once did I have fear that anything was going to happen or we would be too far away or anything like that. And we, so I called her and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I need to push now. It's only been 20 minutes, but you know, you should probably get here. And it was about past one in the morning and she came over pretty quickly and, and recognized very quickly that I was probably in transition and my body had probably done most of the work while I was sleeping. And it was, yeah, just full on from the get go. I do remember at one point, which probably is my favorite point of the whole labor, she was on the floor next to me and she must have leaned over to look under my bum to see what was going on. And her hair brushed the back, my back. She, mm. She's got a lot of hair and quite frizzy. It's <laughs> beautiful and curly. And it brushed my back as she knelt down, as she bent down. And it just really grounded me where mm. I was like, I'm good. Like, I'm good here. And not once did I think to myself, I need pain relief. It was just happening. I At one point, I remember saying to my husband, oh, stop filling that bloody pool because you're never going to get it done anyway. This baby's coming now. And I found out, you know, eight years later that actually they had the pool nearly full and I could have gotten it. But at the time, I was not in that space to be like, how full is it? Let's go have a look or let's try the pool. <laughs> um, so... It was really hard work maneuvering to get this baby out. And I, it was, yeah, it was hard work. It was, the pushing was harder than I had remembered. My midwife said to me, I need you to trust me. And after the next contraction, I need you to lie on your back. And I just thought, what the, like, no, what are you talking about? Oh, what was her midwife thinking? And how does the rest of Lala's birth unfold? Tune in to part two of my interview with Lala next week to find out the answers and to hear about the surprising story of her fifth birth, which certainly threw her some curveballs. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healing Birth Podcast. If you like what you heard, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others. Or if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I'd love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions, or because you're potentially interested in working or training together. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.